Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hi, everyone. It's Eden Christopher here from the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. Back with another episode of the Proper Lookout podcast with Bethany Marla. How are you, Bethany? Good, thanks. How are you? I am super. We're socially distant at the Zenith office up in Chatswood, and today we're going to be talking about common mistakes in whole person impairment assessments. This is part two. Uh, you may recall a couple of weeks ago we did part one, and today we're going to be going through some new assessments. But Bethany, what should be people be following along with today? What publications can they look at? So the Sierra website is the best place to start. And for claims under MACA, the Motor Accident Permanent Impairment Guidelines Version 1, effective 1 June 2018, is where you want to look at. And for claims under Maya, the Motor Accident Guidelines Version 5.1, effective from 17 April 2020, in particular, you're going to want to have a look at Part 6. Yeah, perfect. So let's all immediately go to causation of injury, paragraph 1.3 to 1.7. Now, the common mistake we see with causation assessments uh, or the determination of causation of a particular injury is that the guidelines say you have to take, there's two parts to the test. There's a medical decision and then a non-medical decision. So the medical decision is things like, well, could the mechanism of the accident in fact could have caused the injury? So that's saying, well, a blunt force trauma could have caused a bruise. Yep, that makes sense. That medical decision is uh, correct. However, some doctors just leave it at that. And they don't consider the second part of the test, i.e., was there, in fact, bruising caused to the arm, for instance. Now, this requires a doctor to go through the ambulance report, the hospital records, the contemporaneous GP records, such as, you know, the first three to six months, and check if there ever actually was a complaint about injury to the particular area. So that's a common mistake that we see, just not doctors or assessors not completing the two parts of the causation test. Yep. Another common mistake is when it comes to the combining of different upper extremity impairments and then converting them to WPI. So for example, if the claimant has injured their wrist, elbow and shoulder and each gave rise to an impairment due to a restricted range of motion, then the upper extremity impairment of each of these injuries should be calculated first and then the upper extremity impairment should be added together the total upper extremity impairment of these three injuries should then be converted to WPI using table three on page 20 of the AMA4. If both the left and right upper extremities are injured, you should then calculate the WPI for each of these limits separately and then combine them for WPI. Yeah, and it's surprising how many times that can come up with drastically different results. So it sort of makes you lose confidence in the assessment that's been taken place properly if uh, those simple calculations aren't done correctly. Another one I want to go through is whenever you're looking at a particular injury, the upper extremity, the lower extremity, whatever, make sure you look at the guidelines that Bethany and I have referred to before. You know, For instance, if you go to paragraph 6.65 of the Maya guidelines, this has to do with upper extremity impairments, which shouldn't be used. So paragraph 6.67 says strength evaluations and table 34 must not be used because they are unreliable indicators of impairment. So some people can be quick to just go straight to the AMA4 and look up whether or not the impairment was calculated correctly. However, sometimes the guidelines suggest that you are not allowed to use them at all. 
Another thing I recommend is people look at the operation reports. So just sticking with upper extremity, some people may go straight to the AMA4 guides and see that, oh, shoulder arthroplasty is this impairment and then move on. However, if you look at the operation report and, you know, we have some matters like this where a modified procedure took place where there was no resection of the bone and resection just means cutting off of the bone. Usually it's the distal clavicle that is cut off for a shoulder reconstruction. And if that doesn't occur, then the impairment that gives rise to a resection of the the shoulder, i.e. the arthroplasty, doesn't occur. So that's something that's really important. So always check the operation report and make sure that the procedure that is said to have occurred did in fact actually occur. Yeah, another common issue is around pre-existing impairments. So there's a bit of a difficulty in trying to establish whether there's a pre-existing impairment to a region with a current impairment. And a lot of the time there's issues in how an assessor looks at this. So it's really crucial that for an assessor to find a pre-existing impairment, there has to be objective evidence of a pre-existing symptomatic permanent impairment in the same region at the time of the accident. Now, the capacity of a medical assessor to determine a change in physical impairment will depend on the reliability of clinical information on the pre-existing condition. Uh, So you can have a look at paragraph 6.31 to 6.3 of the Maya guidelines in order to focus more on that section and figure out whether it's been done correctly. Yeah, like basically it's really tough (laughs) to establish that unless you've got perhaps a GP record the day before the accident suggesting that they looked at the shoulder and there was restricted range of motion. So that's actually a tough paragraph to satisfy, uh, symptomatic pre-existing objective evaluation. So that's a common one that, you know, doctors are usually just making a a judgment and they'll say, oh, I take 10% off and that's just not the proper way to do it. So there you go, everyone. Four new examples of common WPI mistakes. If anyone has any suggestions of others, you know, we can go through them or send them through and we can talk about them on the next podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at mccabecurwood.com.au or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.